I was awakened by a call early in the morning as this new year had started in Florida for, for Amanda and I. And that call was from one of the elders at the church there in Florida. And he was calling very early in the morning to notify me that our other elder, George, had, had just passed away. And in that moment, I felt so ecstatic for my brother George, knowing that, that he was now in comfort with Jesus. And yet for his wife, Deanna, and for that congregation, my heart was broken. A few weeks ago, I, I stood with, with our brother Claude in a hospital room at Taylor Hospital Hospice. And I walked up to Lois in her bed and I kissed her on, on her head. And I left that room knowing that, that I was saying, I'll see you later to her. And when I got that call later on that day, I, I felt overjoyed for our sister Lois. And yet for our brother Claude, for his children, and for this church, my heart remains ravaged by that. Just a few nights ago, Amanda and I were at the library and and I got the call from Florida that my closest friend had just died, had just died in Florida. He was 45 years old. And he had suffered more than anybody who I've ever met in this world. He agonized every single hour of his 45 years of life. And in that moment, I felt so delighted for my brother Troy. And yet at the same time, though, as happy as I was for him, as soon as I heard those words, that it punctured a hole in my heart. I mean, three days later, that hole is still there. And, and I mean, this is what death does to us. It forces us to cope with this excruciating new normal. It turns our garb into black. Knowing and processing in our minds that, man, I'm never going to see that person walk through those doors ever again in this world. And it's strange. And it hurts. In our English language, we, we have an expression, I miss you, and that is lovely, I guess. And yet in the French language, what they say, how, how French people say, I miss you, is that you are missing from me. You're missing from me. And I think that's so beautiful. And that really is the sentiment that I want to approach our text with this morning, the First Thessalonians. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, evidently Paul is writing to a church of people who are losing their, their loved ones in this congregation. And Paul knows that as he writes this letter that, that not very long earlier in these people's lives, they had been idol worshipers. 
These are people who had been bowing down before blocks of wood for their um, support and for their comfort. And let us hear what he says to these Christians. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. Where he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, I the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And so therefore, comfort one another with these words. He says, comfort one another, brothers and sisters. And as I am experiencing, it seems like the older that I get, and the more that I experience heartache, whether directly in my own private life or in the church, is that this is oftentimes a comfort that really has no words whatsoever. I have a mentor also who is in Central Florida, and many years ago he had this childhood friend that he had. And as it so happened to be, this childhood friend of his married his younger sister, and so it was such a happy time for them. Well, his lifelong friend goes to Iraq, and he fights for our country, and Three weeks after he says, I do, he's killed by an explosive. And so now my mentor has just lost his lifehood friend. He's lost his brother-in-law. Now his sister is now a widow at age 22. And yet where he turned to was very interesting. He turned to a Jewish rabbi. And he learned something very sacred from him that we read in Scripture. It's called Jewish Ritual Morning, and for almost a week straight, he and his very closest of friends spent there together in the silence, doing nothing, not, not saying one single word, but just sitting together in silence, just as Job's friends had done with him, at least at first. And he said that it was just so beautiful and so deliberate they didn't say one single word to me, and yet what they were expressing to me so loudly to me without even saying one syllable was, we are here. We are here with you. And we're in this thing together. I'll never forget when my grandpa died three years ago. Also, one of my very closest friends because he and I both grew up with, with a speech handicap, and it and it really knit our hearts so closely together. And yet when I heard that my grandpa died, that, I mean, I really took that hard. And yet I'll, yet I'll never forget how we had a deacon in the church in Florida. He walks up to me that very next day, and he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says just three words. All that he said to me was, we love you. 
And I mean, I just could not stop sobbing. And, and my head just had collapsed on his shoulder. And I just embraced that brother as if he were my wife or my mother. And, it, and those three words, though, meant more to me than, than a million words ever could have meant to me. Oftentimes, we don't have to, 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 to really um, break, break our necks coming up with what we're going to say to somebody as we comfort them. Sometimes all we have to do is just have a seat next to a grieving person. And that will bring unspeakable life into their heart that, that even though I have lost someone who is this close to me, I still have a family in Jesus. It's so powerful. And yet, as Paul articulates here, oftentimes this is a comfort that has words. As we read long ago in the book of Proverbs, we see King Solomon say, heartache crushes the spirit. And yet a good word, a good word will make that very same ravaged heart that has holes punctured all over it, it will make that heart glad. And yet it's got to be the right words, doesn't it? Anybody who's ever grieved, has anybody ever come up to you and said something that just, even though it meant well, even though it was well-intentioned, all that it did was really make that knife go even deeper into the wound. A lot of times what we hear as we grieve are these cliches. Again, very well-intentioned, but everything happens for a reason. Everybody ever hear that one? Just, you know, man up. It's okay to miss that person, but you shouldn't be crying about this. Men don't cry. You need to sweep this pain underneath the rug. Thoughts and prayers, 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 thoughts and prayers. And as I have experienced, that doesn't comfort me at all. And I used to be one of those guys before I really lost anybody in my life. That's what I would inadvertently do to people. I was trying to help people. And yet I would just regurgitate all of these cliches that, that might sound nice, but they really don't mean a whole lot. I would go up to a person in the church who was grieving, and more or less I would say, hey, everything happens for a reason. I'm sorry that this happened. And now I'm going to go to Arby's, and I'm just going to leave you to grieve by yourself over here. And... That's how I would comfort people back in the day. Until I, was, until I myself was the one who was getting a phone call. When my wife walks up to me and she has tears in her eyes and she says, David, your grandfather just died. And it's like everything within you realizes in that moment, oh, this is what that feels like. And it doesn't feel good. And so what the Apostle Paul says is comfort one another. Comfort one another in the reality that when a Christian dies, it is a very soul-crushing time of sorrow and of lamentation. And yet just as much equally when a Christian dies, this is also a season of comfort where we realize what God and what His church 
really are all about. And we fall in love with that church more than we ever would have otherwise. And so he says, comfort one another firstly that, that we have a hope far beyond this world. I was reading a book by Stephen King and in this particular novel, it is about a minister at this very small church up in Maine. And he goes up to a person in the community who has just lost a loved one. They, they are not a Christian or, or a believer in any sense. And the minister quotes, he's trying to comfort him, and he quotes 1 Corinthians, and he says, O oh death, where is your sting? And yet this man who does not know Christ, he says, where is death's sting? I'll tell you where death's sting is, preacher. It's here, and it's here, and it's there, and it's all over. In fact, all that I've got in my heart right now and soul are nothing but stingers. Because after all, in this world, death is the end to so many people. I remember a football player whose name was Pat Tillman. He had played for my, my hometown college team at, at Arizona State went on to play for the Arizona Cardinals professionally. And he too was, was a officer overseas and he had lost his life, I believe it was in Afghanistan. And his brother spoke at his memorial service and he walks up at the microphone and he has a beer that he's drinking. And he says to, to everybody there that, that my brother would want me to say this. He's not with God, as, as a lot of you have said. He's expletive dead. He was not a religious person. And by the way, neither am I, he said. And so thanks for your thoughts, everyone, but he is expletive dead. He's just dead. And then he begins sobbing at the microphone, understandably. And that's because, after all, to, to all the people in this world who don't trust in Jesus, who don't hope in the Holy Spirit. Death is the end. I don't know if you remember the, the actress Joan Crawford. But as Joan Crawford was on her deathbed in a hospital many years ago, she, she overheard her personal assistant as she had prayed aloud for her. And with one last burst of energy and speech, Joan Crawford speaks with her hoarse voice and says, expletive, don't you dare ask God for help. And as the story goes, those were her dying words. And Joan Crawford left this world saying, God, I don't need your help. And I don't need you. Because after all, in this world, to all of those who do not hope or glory in Jesus, death is the end. Death is the nightmare of the living that only gets worse and worse and worse and worse as time goes by. And yet for all of us, though, who do hope in Jesus, for all of us who do hope in God, for all of us whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, this is not the story for us, is it? This is not the end for us. As Paul says, so you will not grieve like those who do not hope in Jesus. And this is one of the ways that the church most sticks out to non-believers in this world. Where, where non-believers will look at Christians 
where a lot of times they will go to a memorial service of a Christian and think, how can these people be so happy? Yes, they're sad, but they, they have this hope in something far beyond this, this life that they, they keep on referring to. Even the most vulgar of atheists will take notice at a Christian worship service. That is in memory of a Christian who has died. And don't you love, just love the way that, that he refers to death here. He does not say who have died, but rather he says those who are asleep. And I like that because it is poetry. It's that regardless of if we will die in our sleep tonight, or if we will merely sleep only to wake up in the morning, in a physical sense, we will be asleep tonight. Because death is not the end of us. And as Paul expresses all of this, Paul at all is not saying do not mourn. He is not saying that you cannot cry or lament somebody. As we see in the book of Genesis, as Jacob dies, we see many people weeping aloud for Jacob one entire week straight. Later on, as Moses dies, it is loud lamentation one consecutive month for Moses as he died. As we go all the way into the book of Acts, as we see our brother Stephen, as he becomes that first Christian martyr, it says loud lamentation is being made for Stephen. And yet all of that pales in comparison to our divine example, Jesus. As we remember, even Jesus himself wept at the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus. And so Paul is not saying, do not weep. Rather, what he's saying is, do not, really what he's saying is, do not despair. Do not give up. He's saying, weep, but do not despair. Cry your heart out, and yet do not give up. And in times like this, anytime anybody has passed away, what we hear is this acronym, RIP. Now, what does RIP stand for? Rest in peace. It is our wish to them. May, may your soul rest in peace. And yet I believe what Paul is inviting these Thessalonians to is precisely what he is calling us to do whenever we find ourselves in this position where we lose somebody this close to us. I believe that the acronym that he is endorsing for us is not RIP, but is LIP. Live in peace. All of you who have just lost a spouse, your very closest friend, a sibling, a parent, live in peace. Because when a Christian dies, yes, it is a time of soul-crushing sorrow. And yet it is also, even more so, it is a season of divine comfort, both from Christ as well as by his holy church. And so Paul is saying, comfort one another also, because Jesus is coming soon. Is that something that we believe in our bones this morning? That in spite of all of the problems in our worlds as well as in the world around us, in this great society that is so ravaged by um, darkness and by violence and by corruption, that Jesus, nevertheless, that he is coming soon. That great day when our faith will become sight. When we will see God in all of his 
glory unveiled before our eyes. I mean, all the troubles of this world, all the things in the news that, that have been grieving my heart lately and grieving your heart lately. Nevertheless, we remember the words of Jesus and of God in his word. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. And as it says elsewhere, how precious is the death of his loved ones in his sight. He says, comfort one another with these words. And he also says, comfort each other that one day God is going to raise those who are dead. Right now, I have a hole punctured in my heart as I have lost one of my very best friends. I got home that night and, and I broke down and I cried. I got here on Friday morning at the office and, and I was trying to do my work and I broke down and, and I sobbed on my desk. I went to a restaurant, I tried to get my mind off of it for lunch. And I broke down and I cried in front of everybody in that restaurant. I went to the park after that. And I broke down and I cried. And yet even though all of that is true, even though we hurt as we lose those very dearest in this world to us, Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. As we see in the book of Ephesians, Jesus has already raised us spiritually when we were spiritually dead, but one day he's going to do it in a physical sense when we receive our heavenly bodies. And our challenge is for our sister Lois, as well as for me with, with our brother Troy back in Florida. What we really need to do is not not think about them how they were the last time that we saw them. I must not think about Lois as I last saw her in that hospital bed at Taylor Hospice. I must not remember Troy only as, as that picture had depicted of him just before he died in the hospital. But rather what the Holy Spirit would much rather have us mentally envision about these individuals is something like that little girl who we read about in the gospel books. As we read about this, this very young girl has just died and, and everybody's wailing in this girl's house. And yet Jesus walks in and, and he says something that, that, that strangely makes them go from, from, from sobbing aloud to laughing aloud. As he says, this girl is not dead, she is sleeping. She's just asleep. And then he says, little girl, rise. And one day, we, we absolutely know in our heart of hearts that one day he will say to Lois, arise. He's going to say to my close friend Troy and our brother Troy, Troy, arise. And I could go around this room, every single one of us who have lost anybody in our lives, who sleep in Jesus. I know every single one of us have many, many faces in our minds right now, I'm sure. One day, God is going to say, rise. Soar away into my paradise. Because this is what I have yearned. This is what I have envisioned for us all to share together before there was even a world. 
You see, such is the sleep of those who sleep in Jesus. Such is the sleep right now, this very moment, of our sister Lois and Troy. And if we will comfort one another with these specific words, and if we will continue living the Christian life and loving each other and loving Jesus, such will be our sleep one day, very soon, at that. And yet if I had to say what I love most about what these Christians are to comfort each other with. My favorite part is lastly, as he says, comfort one another that we will always be with the Lord. I mean, just think about that. If he had said, comfort one another, that we will spend one full minute with the Lord, even that would have been paradise to me. And yet it's not going to be just one minute or one moment or one day. It's not even going to be for 10,000 years, but rather this is going to be forever that we will share with Jesus. We will spend eternity with our God. I remember on the mountain of transfiguration, Simon Peter had said, Lord, I would like to build a sanctuary. And that's because he never wanted to come down off the mountaintop. Nobody wants to come down off the mountaintop. But this is a mountaintop that we will never, ever, ever have to come down from. Not this mountain. Not this time, brothers and sisters. I'm comforted knowing that Jesus Christ is, is the Lord of Lois. And that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Troy Needfelt. And yet, until then, we need to be a church of comfort. And so the way that we can respond to this message, you and I collectively together, is to continue what we are already doing, and that is comfort our brother Claude right now. Let's join together as, as his spiritual family. On Saturday, unless we have to work or something, let's, let's come here and to rejoice in the life that our sister lived. And yet, let's also rally around our beloved brother, Claude. And, and also, let us all remember that it doesn't have to be a million flowery words. Oftentimes, all that does is just make it worse. Rather, let us remember those, those seemingly small ways. Three words, I love you. Silently standing next to him. And that will breathe unspeakable comfort and and soulless into him. And yet, let us also comfort our own selves. As we continue hearing about all of these headlines in the news, it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. As a synagogue gets shot up, and, and what our president says, it's their fault. It's their fault. He blames those victims who got shot. And... I mean, so often the things of this world are such a distraction to me that I get so angry and so sad in these things that, that I forget what Paul is saying here. And so let us comfort each other with these words as well, knowing that there is something that is far greater. Let us comfort one another in this reality. As at another juncture in Paul's life, he he asks a question, and he says, what is going to separate us from the love of Christ? 
Is it going to be tribulation or distress? Will it be persecution or famine or nakedness? Will it be peril or sword? He says, no. But in all of these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through the power of Jesus Christ. And then notice how the very first thing that he starts with after that is he says that I am convinced that neither death, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things which are to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This life is too short to waste this precious time arguing amongst each other, complaining about everything in this world. This life is far too short for me to walk around being a coward and enslaved to fear and anxiety and to childish melodrama worry. Scripture says we are nothing but a mist, which appears for a short while, but then what does it do in the blink of an eye? It evaporates into the morning light. And just maybe a month and a half ago, I stood in our backyard as my dad was here, just before he flew back to Arizona. And he had pointed up at the sky, and he said exactly where his plane would be just, just hours later at the exact time, exact place. And sure enough, a few hours later, I look up at the exact time and, and I see his plane flying and it vanishes in the clouds. And it was like in the blink of an eye, he went from, from standing in the driveway pointing, standing right next to me to now he is vanishing there in the clouds. And as I stood there, I, I realized that one day my dad is going to pass away. And he will vanish seemingly in, there in those clouds. And yet one day that will also be me. It's going to be Jerry. It's going to be a man that's going to be all of us. It's going to be Walter. It's going to be every single person. And yet when a Christian dies, for us... The end does not get to be the end. But for us, the end is just the beginning. We will always be with the Lord together. And so therefore, in the meantime, brothers and sisters, let us comfort one another with these words. And let us love each other and work together until Jesus comes.